Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 543 with Pete Saltonfuss. You know, opening a restaurant is, it's a very stressful endeavor. It almost never makes money right away. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of nurturing, a lot of care. If you don't have the patience for that, it can be a very explosive situation. And I understand, you know, especially now that I've been in it on my own, I understand that you're you're watching money fly out the window and you don't know where it's going or if it's coming back. And it, it, and you're not talking about a couple bucks. You're talking about a lot of money. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Cash flow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future until now. Welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price introducing ethics suite the first and only misconduct theft and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously easily and securely from any device with internet connection however if you're an owner or manager you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Pete Saltonfuss. Pete, my man, are you feeling unstoppable? Sure am. (laughs) Yes, that's what we like (laughs) to hear. So born and raised just outside of Boston, when Pete Saltonfuss turned 18, he made the move into the heart of the city and attended Cambridge School of Culinary Arts. He'd spend the next 10 years working in some of the of Boston's finest restaurants, including Eastern Standard, where he met his now wife, Jessica. Jessica and Pete fell in love with Maine and made the move north, where they would both land a job working for Forest Street under the renowned James Hayward, sorry, Sam Hayward in Portland, Maine. Uh, they'd go on to help other successful restaurateurs open restaurants throughout the city, and today they are the proprietors of two brick-and-mortar operations under the name of Other Side Delicatessen. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. I can't wait to dive into uh, who you are, how you got to where you are today, and all the things you've learned in between. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? My guys always make fun of me for saying it, but I'm always telling them work smarter, not harder. Work it's smarter, so not cheesy, harder. But, you know, it's so true. <laughs> well, There's, give me an example of working smarter, not harder. Especially now that I have two locations, I'm constantly looking for ways to keep myself as organized and as streamlined as possible. And it just, you know taking the smaller step to do it really well the first time instead of half-assing it and then having to go back and redo it no matter what it is whether it's painting a wall or it's making a sandwich or making you know cutting 
break, breaking a, a side of pork. It's yeah. <clears throat> I think the magic really happens when you work smart and hard because you can be that much <laughs> more productive. You can just crank out that much more work. Um, awesome way to get this thing started. So uh, let's find out where it all started for you. When did you know you are going to commit your life to this industry? I feel like I've always kind of had the entrepreneurial bug ever since I was a little kid. You know, when I was skateboarding at the, the, the town train station, I wanted to open my own skateboard shop. So it's always been something that I've, I've looked at as where I wanted to go with my life. Um, and you know, when I really kind of fell in love with the restaurant business, when I, in, in my first, my first position in, in Boston, I was a, a line cook at Davio's and Davio's he was my second guest oh really uh what's his name uh Steve Steve DiFilippo yeah, yeah, yeah Steve's an awesome guy he he helped me out quite a bit getting my career started awesome. um they they gave me a shot I had no business being on that line but that was your first uh line that was my first line job that's a great place to start because that's a operation well, it, that has their their stuff together and it's it was you know it was 1998 it was a long time ago they have grown unbelievably since then it's amazing to see what they've done since then this was back when it was on Newbury Street I think they left Newbury Street like at least 10 years ago I can't I'm not even really sure but um I walked in there had no idea where I was Happened to run into one of those kids that I was skateboarding with the, the train station back home. He was the sous chef. Nice. And he was like, come in and do a stage. Let's yeah. see what, it's let's see what you, you can know, do. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still, to I this had, day, I'm sure it helps you to know the right people. Uh, so any big lessons working uh, under uh, a restaurant group like DeFilippo's uh, or Steve DeFilippo, Davio's? What, what were some of the big takeaways? And don't be afraid to get right up on that mic. Um, you know, the big takeaway from my my first my first line cook job was shut up and do your job listen mm. to chef don't talk back lose your attitude you have no business talking back or thinking that you know anything learn and keep your mouth shut so and why is that the mentality you need to have when you're just getting started because you don't know anything you're working next to a guy that's been in this business for 20 years mm. and you're walking in thinking that you're going to be you know i was 19 yeah. i had i had my arrogances i yeah. had my i had my lessons <laughs> to learn and yeah. and they made sure that i got that they got that message there's a time and place to be a fly on the wall and just absorb right yeah, and absolutely just do do what you're told and uh and, you know it, it, it's good to have a, the culture where people feel like they can't speak up if they feel like something's not right because you can catch something right but at the same time just keep your mouth shut unless you really have to say something and learn as much as possible. Uh, great lesson there. So um, what was the next key point for you, would you say, in your career moving forward? Um, you know, I, I when I left Davio's, I, I worked there for over two years. Okay. Um, I went through culinary school partly, working there partly at another place. So this is like from 18 to 20, like around that age? Yeah, I, w- I graduated culinary school when I was 21, I think. Okay. So I had been cooking for a couple of years before I went. And I really, a big motivation for me going was Steve DiFilippo. He, he graduated from that school as well. What was it about him that... Um that you I, gravitated towards? Um, I don't know. I mean, he wasn't really operational at that time. He had three other locations. He wasn't like in whites behind the line or anything like that. He was much more front of the house at that point. He had come from the kitchen, but um, he was just somebody that I looked at as like, wow, this guy made it. Like he, he figured out how to do it and he did it. And the story from... Paint that picture in <clears throat> your mind of what made it is. Um, he's got three locations. He looks like he's living the life. He's going to see Bruce Springsteen whenever he gets a chance. You know, yeah. I mean, first name basis with uh, the Patriots and the Red Sox. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, we had we. I was cooking for John Williams. Like Ooh. this guy, John Williams. You know, Joe Torre was coming in after the Sox game. Like we had um, Derek Jeter. Like we, yeah. there, there were like famous people coming in that I was like awestruck. Nineteen, twenty years old. Yeah. Couldn't believe that I was able to be like cooking for these people. And I, and that's part of like me not knowing what the restaurant business was. I didn't know coming from a suburban town washing dishes 
I didn't know that you would be like rubbing elbows with celebrities, even though they had no idea I was there. They <laughs> didn't give a shit that I was there, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was just it was it was really fascinating to me that this guy started this place by leasing all this equipment in this basement, grungy, nasty kitchen that he and he transformed this into an empire within yeah. like 15, 20 years. I mean, that was inc- that was incredible. To yeah, me. he has a really cool story. He shares a story in a book. Uh, it's all about the guest. I believe is the, the title of his book. If you guys want to check that out, um, it was probably one of the first books I read about the industry when I was just starting this podcast. Uh, and he was my second guest. So you can imagine I was like tweaking out. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. So what was the next major uh, jump for you? Would you say, I know you did some time uh, at Eastern standard uh, with Garrett Harker, who's been you know recognized uh, by James Beard for yeah. or nominee for best restaurant tour of the year. Uh, so I'm sure there were some huge lessons there, but I don't want to skip over anything. Was, was there any other key points for you? There definitely were key points for me. I kind of I, I landed in Boston on Newbury Street and then kind of went to I don't want to say out of the spotlight places, but I definitely gravitated more towards smaller, um, <clears throat> less nationally acclaimed kind of places. Okay. I, I, I went to run a kitchen out in Somerville called Eat that was there for ten years and it was an amazing experience. I was way too young to be a head chef, um, but it was a small place. And so the you were owner, a head chef at 21, I was, 22? Tw- I was 23. 23. Why, I, why were you way too young? Dive into some of the things that you know now, knowing knowing what you know now. Knowing what I know now, I mean, I, I worked my ass off, and that's what got me to be able to hang in that position. What does working but your ass off look like? I was there 9 o'clock in the morning till we, we closed at 10. I was there till 11, 12 o'clock at night every day, six, seven days a week. I mean, yeah. Eventually, I was there for two years. Eventually, the owner started closing on Sundays just to give me a day off. Yeah, so somebody saw me. Um, you know, somebody saw something in you. They saw that you had the drive, the ethic, you know, the work ethic. But what? Why were? What were? How were you too young? What things made you too young? For I hadn't seen enough yet. I hadn't traveled. I hadn't. I hadn't been in enough kitchens yet. I hadn't. You know, I, I didn't have enough of a sense of myself as a cook, as a chef, to be as effective as I could have been. I think that I don't think it was a. Re- I don't have regret about it. I don't think it was a mistake. I think I, we made a lot of people happy. There were a lot of people that loved the food, that loved the experience in that restaurant. It was as much of a team restaurant as I have ever been a part of. Um, from, you know, it was a neighborhood place in Somerville, so yeah. everybody was first name basis. Everybody that was there wanted to be there and loved it there, and it was an amazing experience. And I learned a ton. I actually waited tables there. That was my yeah. only front of the house experience. It shows that you have a lot of humility, but at the same time, I feel like we can only grow if we push ourselves into those uncomfortable positions where we take right. on more than we are capable in that moment because it's really uncomfortable at first, but as you do it, you slowly get better. I'm sure your ability to run that operation was better on your way out than it was on the way in. Am I correct? Of course. I mean, yeah. there's, there's actually, I, I'm just remembering a really great story about when, when I was there. I, we used to do a guest chef program on Monday nights and one night we had Jody Adams and she's an incredibly talented chef. She's done amazing things in the Boston restaurant scene. Um, but part of what, when we were dealing with the, the more celebrity kind of chefs, it was like, here's the recipes. I'll show up at five o'clock. A lot of the smaller guys would come in and cook with you and you'd cook all day together to get dinner going. So this one, Jody sent me the recipes and I kept seizing this caramel like over and over and over again. And she shows up at five o'clock and I'm like, chef, I'm sorry. I just, for some reason I can't get this caramel to go. And she looks at me and she's like, you're using a wooden spoon. That's why. And you know better. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I do know better. But that's what I mean by I was too young. I did know better, but I was stressed. I was in the weeds. I wasn't thinking straight. And I was freaked out that Jody Adams was coming into my kitchen (laughs) and I kept fucking up the caramel. Like it was caramel, you know, I mean, 
I did know better, but I, I wasn't. I wasn't mature enough to think it through. Yeah, but I, I bet you'd never nervous. do that again. No, no. no <laughs> so, never. I mean, that's, we got to live. We've got we to fall on our ass. We've got to get yeah, back up. Absolutely. That's the only way you absolutely. get to the point. Uh, so, thank you for going there. And thank you for, you know, showing us uh, some of your more vulnerable moments. Uh, so, what, what was next? Any, I mean, is there anything you want to pull from this experience that we, we're talking about now? Or is it safe to move forward? Um, yeah, I think, I mean... You know, what What would happen next was another example of, you know, being too young to run kitchens. I That restaurant closed, and I took the opportunity to go backpack in Europe for a few months. And so not, was, I don't want to spend too much time here, but knowing what you know now without, you know, talking shit about anybody, uh, or if you have to, you can, but uh, <laughs> let's not try to. Uh, so what was it about this restaurant that, knowing what you know now, why do you think it failed? Oh, there were a mil- there were a million reasons why that place didn't last. Um, what was the most important reason? I think the most important reason was that they didn't go into it with enough capital mm. when they started. So they started behind the they they started behind the ball. They started they they started with a shovel trying to dig themselves out. So what of, what things <clears throat> popped up? Is there a specific example of something that popped up that put them even deeper that was unreboundable? Specifically, honestly, I'm not really sure. I I started there fi- when they were five years in. Um, they were there for seven years and had seven chefs. Oh, so that's wow. also another thing yeah. that, that's tough to that's tough to overcome. But from what I know now, opening my own businesses, opening without enough capital, opening when you're behind, which I have done, honestly. I have done the first one. That's that's how we started. We didn't start with enough money in the bank, and it was very difficult in the first So the first year. one, are you talking about uh, other side? The first other side, okay. yeah. We'll, we'll t- I'm going to make notes so we can come back to this. Um, so keep going. You're on terror. Uh, what were some of the uh, other key moments uh, leading up to where you are today um other key moments was my next job after getting back from europe i got another head chef position at another restaurant in cambridge and i kind of went into it with uh i'm gonna change the world attitude i was 24 i had how old are you uh, now i'm 39 i mean you look these there's not <laughs> one gray hair on your head how did you pull that off working in a restaurant no idea. <laughs> genetics thanks oh. dad um, <laughs> okay keep going so i got this job and i thought that i was going to be the next hot shit i was i went into it with way too much arrogance and it i had too many blinders because of that and i wasn't seeing what was really in front of me i wasn't working for a good person um and i got fired mm. and that really that really landed me on my ass that kind of it, it, it took the wind out of my sails. I wasn't really sure what to do with myself. I didn't. I, I had made the decision at that point that I wasn't going to go run another kitchen. That I was going to go learn from somebody else. And that's when Eastern Standard came into play. And so this is after you got back from your travel across. Yep. yep. Overseas. I traveled. I traveled in Europe for about three months. Okay. Um, learned a ton, you know, about myself, about food. What was the biggest thing you learned about yourself? How to just kind of deal. How to take care of you know take care of things in the moment that ne- weren't necessarily restaurant life things. I'd been in the kitchen for so long, you know, living in Boston. You you, it, it's a pretty safe city. You don't really run into too much trouble if you're not a, you know if you're, if you, if you're not, yeah if you're not an idiot you're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. um, we were sit- I was traveling with a friend. We were sitting at a laundromat in Paris, and somebody ripped off her purse, and having to go through embassy to get her passport back, and all that kind of stuff. Like Man. in the moment, is that that's stressful? And you're, yeah. you know, you, you don't speak the language. They're looking at you like you're an asshole American. Bush had just gotten elected into office, so they didn't. Oh. You know, we're, we're, I got like Canadian flag stickers on my on my jacket <laughs> just to try to distract from that. A little patch. Um, okay, so let's fast forward again to uh, you're working for this job. You got you come back, you get a job, you get fired. Take us through the dynamics of that relationship. Uh, what was what was the the chemistry there? Like, what was was there different visions? What was going on? 
Um, it was pretty caustic, actually. It was the I was taking over for a chef that had been there for ten years. That's a word and I'm not familiar with. I'm not afraid to admit it. Caustic. What do you mean by that? It was just. It was. It wasn't. Um, I was used to people wanting to learn and grow together mm. and fix problems as they arose together. And this guy that I was working for, he. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be doing it. He wanted to take the check to the bank. And this just, guy is the owner you're talking but yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and he said that he was in, in, in for change, but he wasn't. He didn't want change. He wanted things to be the same way that they were with the previous What chef. was the way it was before? Just a different style of food. I mean, this guy had, you know, the guy that was there before me cooked his way. I have my way of cooking. I had my ideas, my, st- my style that I was trying to develop. Um, yeah. And... Where I could have done it differently is I could have worked with what he had done and tried to make it my own, but instead I tried to burn it all down and build Start it again. Start from scratch. And it didn't work well. Why does that not work well? In that situation, I mean, I think it can in other situations, but in that specific situation, I, it was another kind of neighborhoody place that the regulars missed the old guy's food, the, the cooks that were there weren't happy with the new food, my way of doing things. So I was trying to change the world in a day. There's no and, consistency. Anybody right. who you had who was loyal to that restaurant, you just burned that bridge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what would you have done? So you, you, I think you kind of said it already. You would have taken what he had created and maybe transformed it from there, but you cleaned the slate completely. Right. Okay, cool. Any other lessons from that experience? Um. If your paycheck bounces more than three times in a row, just, just chalk it up and move on. Okay, so now we're at Eastern Standard. And, man, this is turning out to be a great conversation. I had a good feeling it was going to be. Uh, I want to make sure we leave plenty of time because of uh, what you've done here in Portland, uh, sure. working for all these great people. But uh, Eastern Standard, uh, take us through what it was like working for somebody like as renowned as Garrett Harker, a past guest on the show, too, which I just love what they're doing over there. So keep Absolutely. Up. I mean, yeah. Eastern Standard for me was kind of like – I I look at that as like I I went from the minor leagues to the major leagues. Like that was my first big gig being a part of that opening team. I had I had been a part of opening restaurants or or closing them and reopening them kind of stuff before. This was the first of like What makes this major league versus the other stuff? The players involved. Yeah. Um you know, I working for working for Garrett was amazing. I didn't work as directly with him, especially in the beginning, because he was the front of the house guy and he had a million things that he was working on and taking care of. Working for Jamie Bissonette was absolutely incredible. That's um, right. I forgot that Jamie came up through uh I had always had a passion for charcuterie and butchery before working for him and he really like helped me fine tune my skills and think about food in a in a different way. Take us through that. How? What approach did he use on you to help you fine tune your skills, and what did he teach you about? Food? How did Jamie's you approach to me was ride him as hard as I can and see if he'll break. And I didn't did you break. You didn't I didn't break. break. Um, did you, give me an example of how he was riding it. You know, he would. He was harder on me. I think. I think because he, I, I'd like to think because he saw something in me that he didn't see in some of the other guys. But he was harder on me than he was on anybody else. Mm. I hadn't worked in any of the the higher end restaurants like some of the other guys had. I didn't have the fancy Japanese knives yet. I didn't have, you know, I, I there were some skill sets that I needed to work on. And being in the position that I was as his sous chef, I should have had them already. But I was, I was going to be damned if I didn't get them. Um, so it, in the beginning of Eastern standard, it was, a let's see who can work the most hours and not, not break. 
and it was it was this sick competition that we all had kind of silently amongst ourselves that like because we opened and then a month later we opened for room service so that was a 24-hour kitchen wow i worked a 28-hour shift jesus um just to prove to jamie that i could do it so give me the craziest story of of something that he did to you to test you to to push (laughs) you um this is just me being curious now one there was one night where he was getting some pressure on labor cost and i mean we were we weren't doing i think as i don't i don't even know how we could be not as busy as they were hoping that we would be but it it was the first baseball season had just ended so Mm -hmm. we had come out of baseball season we were doing 500 covers a night or whatever it was um just for the the record eastern standard is maybe a quarter mile away from fenway yeah like a half mile max something like that yeah Yeah. um so we started, kind of started to slow down a little bit because baseball season was over. We didn't have those those baseball rushes anymore. And he sent basically the entire line home except for he and I. And we were going to cook and expedite to a restaurant that seats like 150 people or something like that, the two of us. And we went down in flames. And he just like, he was up my ass that whole time. And I was like, I'm going as fast <laughs> as I can. But, you know, and we ended up, we did it together and we got through it and we learned from it. Um so you know, it was at, at the end of the day, it was a good experience. We never did it again. Yeah, um, it sounds like like you know. Sorry, you gonna finish your thought? Go for no, it. No, it was just things like that. Like Jamie was always pushing to challenge everybody, which is what makes him great because he does it to himself. I, he's harder on himself than he is on anybody else. Um, yeah. And he's he's definitely the most talent talented chef that I've ever worked for. Um, so it was it was an incredible experience. Great. Um, what else did you learn working at this restaurant group as far as standards and excellence and what that looks like? Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, what do they call, they call waiter hater, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that you get, you become a part of in the kitchen. Talking about the feud between front of house? That was completely unacceptable in this, in this restaurant. And I, I appreciated that and I learned a lot from that. How do they make that unaccessible? What was their approach in making that just not? You know, I mean, if, if there's a line cook talking shit, they get, they get told, they get stepped at, they get, they get stomped down. It's What's not, that conversation look like? Um... I've never seen a chef chest bump anybody before I worked for Jamie. <laughs> it's not necessarily a conversation as much as it is just shut up and do Zero your job. Tolerance. Like you, you, you're, you're worrying about your shit. You're not worrying about what they're doing. What they're doing is what they're doing. Yep. <clears throat> and if we don't do this well together, we're not going to do it well. Why do you well. need to set that culture? Why do you need to make that a non... Because a non- everything else is... Uh, anything else is just you're working against yourself. I mean, yeah. at, at that point, that that was a big lesson of like, wow, what were we doing the last five years? Yeah. Getting pissed off at servers for not ringing it in the right way or whatever. Like, like they're a lesser part of this bit equation than we are. You know, it's just a stupid way to think about it. Yeah. It, if you had to just narrow it down to like one thing, uh, how you transformed as a professional going into Eastern Standard and coming out, what was that? What would that biggest transformation have been aside from your knowledge uh, and what you've learned working under a chef like Jamie Bissonnette? Just how to be a better restaurant employee. Not not necessarily, you know, I, I was most certainly a better cook coming out of there and a better manager. Um but how to be just a better team player, how to be on a team and work truly as a team. How do you work truly as a team? I mean, anything from, you know, you're putting pride into your staff meal. You're, you're, you really care about the fact that the people that are working next to you today are going to eat something good before they go into this. Mm. Um, to leading a pre-shift meeting where you're 
answering questions without having any arrogance or condescension to, to your, your teammates and really treating it like it, it's a team. It's yeah. not just, there's no division of... I hear the, the word that keeps coming into my head is relationships and, and having relationships with your coworkers and caring <laughs> about your coworkers. It's you funny know? that you say that because I think there were five marriages that came out of that, well, that opening crew yeah, and, and I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's true, you know, when you really care about your people and you make it about... Like, culture boils down to the quality of relationships, uh, the quality of relationships Absolutely. you have with other people. And when you care about people and you... You look to support and help instead of, you know, uh, fight and, uh, you know, hurt, you know, like mm-hmm. so you can go so much f- further together with that, that mindset. One other thing I want to talk about that you mentioned earlier on, and I was hoping it would come up, but I'm just going to pull it out. Uh, you were talking about how you, you worked a 28 hour shift and there was a lot of pride in who could work the longest, the hardest. Do you still think that's a health thing? Knowing what you know now, do you still think that mentality of who can work the longest, the hardest is still a no, good way. Absolutely not. Okay. I was not nearly as effective as I could have been. I mean, it's another example of like I was making a recipe and I kept fucking it up and yeah. then I knew better, but I was blind tired, so I yeah. wasn't thinking it through. Mm-hmm. I probably threw away five pounds of butter because I was not thinking it through and then it clicked and I realized that I wasn't boiling the the water well enough before I was trying to make the pat of shoe. So yeah. you know. Um working like that isn't healthy in any way. Maybe later um, we can talk about how you work now. Uh, to kind of find that balance because I know it's something that's important to you. One of the reasons why you wanted to open a delicatessen was because you could, I mean, I'm assuming it's, it's more manageable as far as work-life balance uh, with hours, maybe. It is, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of kind of circumstances that went into into that. Yeah, let's put that on the back burner. Um, so eventually you, you found your way up to Maine and I'm assuming it was after Eastern Standard, right? It was after Eastern Standard, yeah. I had left Eastern Standard and took over the kitchen at a place called Green Street in Cambridge um, that was... Another, it wasn't a new open, but it was a transformative open. They had had a chef there for 10 years. The new owner bought it and decided that he was going to shut down for a while, do some renovations, and reopen with a brand new menu. They were doing Caribbean food, and he wanted to have more of a New England approach to it. Um, he hired me to take the reins, and I did that for was just about two years before we decided to make the move up here. Okay, what was any key lessons, any transformative times for you during that time? Green Street was great. It, it definitely I, it helped me to see how to put what I had learned at Eastern Standard into effect under it being my own team and my own crew. Um, and it was, it, was really, it, was, it was great for that. It, it, I was able to really feel like I was using what I learned from Jamie. You had a there. reference point. You, you saw what it yeah, could be. Exactly. exactly. The, the potential of a crew. Uh, and you had something to, to reference going forward throughout your, the rest of your career every other kitchen that you worked for. I mean, you see that, that totally. level of, of excellence. So how did you change this, this, this crew that you were working with after knowing what the potential could be? Just trying, again, just trying to be part of a team. Trying to, This place was very bar-driven. It wasn't necessarily as kitchen-driven as someplace like Eastern Standard. This place was all about the bar. Dylan had a A to Z cocktail list that he called it that was incredible. I mean, it was absolutely amazing how many different cocktails, how many layers of flavor that he was able to create with this thing. Um, and people were there initially they were there for the bar they were there to check out the food there's you know we had we had a lot of snacky kind of foods a lot of stuff like that that was going on um but it was just you know making this place as great as it can be within the four walls that were there gotcha all right let's bring it to 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 maine so you you make the move to maine why'd you guys come up here 
We, I had, I proposed to Jess on Main State Pier. I gotta um, give Jess a shout out real quick. <laughs> Jess, is, Jess is the reason why I'm sitting here. Uh, I, uh, Paul Callahan, I should say thank you to Paul Callahan oh, too, no who connected me with Jess. Who Jess has been helping me connect with uh, you, uh, with the folks over at Hugo's and uh, Central Provision. Hopefully, we're gonna get them on the show before I take off again. But sorry, shout yeah, out sure, to Jess. totally. Um, we got engaged up here. My family has some property on the Saco River, so we and the, our hope was to get married on that property. Um, and we were just kind of looking for a change of pace. We knew we wanted to get married. We knew we would eventually want to open our own business, buy our house, looking at, you know, we were looking at thousand square foot condos in East Cambridge for $500,000. We're never going to be able to afford that kind of thing. Um, so we figured we're getting married up here. Let's give it a year. We'll see how it goes. Um, just it's close enough to, it's close enough to home that if we hate it, we'll come back and it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, so we made the jump and. It's been 10 so, years. So at this time, uh, I know Jessica was a friend of house. Was she a, a general manager? When we moved up here, we moved up here with the idea that we did not want to be in management for a little while. We okay. wanted to take a step back, get to know Portland. Um, but she was a general manager for Eastern Standard, right? That was her. Or she was the service manager for service Eastern manager. Standard, and okay. then she was the general manager for the Blue Room before okay. we moved up here. So um, I'm starting to see the dynamic of the relationship. Uh, you would have been back of us. She would have been in front of us if you came up here to do your own thing eventually. Or yeah, that was the idea. So she's selling wine now. She's selling um, wine now. Yeah, but what, does she still have a presence in what you're doing today? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Why isn't she sitting here with us? Because <laughs> <laughs> we have two sick kids at home. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> and she's doing a she's doing a work with with a winemaker in town right now. I don't even know where the kids are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys move up here. You wanted to get away from management for a while. What was the reason for that? Um, you know, you, you're, when you're in management, you're you're working a ton of hours. We just felt like it was the it would be the best way for us to learn about Portland and get to know Portland. Um, kind of take a step back from the pressures and the stresses of management for a little while. And just get to know what this town was about. That's so smart uh, to just to like slowly accu- uh What's the word? Acculate or not acculate? Am I saying that? acclimate? Acclimate. Thank you. I might have to edit that out. It's really <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, so, uh, good, I won't. I'll just make fun of myself. Acclimate to a city to really to let your roots settle in to meet people to to network to find out who's who to who find out who to go to work for. Did you have something lined up before coming out here? We had some ideas. Um, we came up. I don't know, probably a month before and dropped resumes at a few different places. Um, and how do you decide? I think this is a really good place to, to, to settle for a bit because a lot of people talk to me about uh, or ask me questions about how to get into a, a community, how to you know find the next right job for them. How did you guys decide on where to go first with having the experience you had? How did you make those, those choices? Portland was kind of like a weekend getaway spot for us. Um, so we had been here. We were relatively familiar with the town. We had been out to eat. You know, that, I mean, we're in, in the restaurant business. That's what we do. That's like a, that's the hobby. You go out to eat when you're not working. Um, so we knew that we really loved 4th Street. We knew that 555 was a great spot. Um, we loved it at Hugo's. But, I mean, there weren't too many more places than that 10 years ago. It's crazy, the growth yeah. that's happened up here. Um, it is crazy. So... You know, we, we dropped resumes at those places. Uh, there were a couple other places that we t- took a peek at. Ultimately, we both decided that 4th Street was going to be the best experience for us, and it really was. Why was that? <clears throat> what was it about 4th Street that you thought was right for you? Um, the thing for me with the way that 4th Street structures their line is their line cooks pretty much write the, the, the menu for their specific station on a day-to-day basis. Okay. Um, so... I had the experience of running kitchens, of being, you know, the one that was writing the menu every day. So I didn't really have to lose that. I didn't have to take away that creative expression. Yes. I wasn't having to change 
how I do things to fit another chef's, which wouldn't have been a big deal. But at that point in my career, it was actually perfect for me because I could go in there. I could work on my skills. I could play with ideas, things that I had been seeing, eaten, whatever, read about. um, And I didn't have someone breathing down my neck saying, no, don't do it that way. Do it this way. They're very open. If you if you can if you can prove that you can hang, you can pretty much do whatever you want there. What are the benefits of working in that kind of atmosphere where you have that freedom of creativity? You have that uh, ability to to use what you've learned and do it without really having to worry about somebody helicoptering over you all the time. Like, how is that beneficial? You just you continue to learn within yourself. I mean, you you, you push yourself and you drive yourself. But ultimately, I was you know charcuterie has always been a big part of my passion with this in, in, in my career and i was able to kind of take over that program over there and with me and one other guy we really like we, we were responsible for all the whole animal breakdown and wh- how it was going to get utilized and what we were going to do with it and it, it was it was a lot of fun it was so great. if you were all responsible for your respected sections or your respect your respected um what's the word you use stations stations thank you uh what was sam hayward doing sam i mean He's he, Sam is not on the line anymore. He he hasn't been in quite a while, but he he was just kind of there to to share his knowledge um, and you know oversee that his vision was being realized on a what's nightly basis. What's that look like? What, what's it look like when you get to that point where your uh, acclaim and your reputation is great enough that you can attract onto yourself the people who have skills that are just as good as yours, if not even better in, in certain regards? Uh, and then how do you get out of the way and how do you manage from uh, a when distance like that? What, when you're, when you're Sam Hayward in the most generous and graceful way possible. He is, <laughs> he is an absolutely amazing man. Um, I've never worked for anybody that was just as kind and caring to his employees and to and to the, the, the community, the food community around here that he was. What's that look like? I, I believe, and I say it all the time, behind every great restaurant's a great person, right? And we are here to learn about these great people and what it is about these great people. You're one of these great people, too. What is it that you learned from him, working under him, how he treated people? Give me an example of the way he went about doing it. Um... I don't know. It's That's tough. a good question. It's tough. <laughs> you said generous. I mean, give me an example of how he was generous. How would he show his generosity? Just generous with his knowledge. You know, I mean, he would, if, if there was, if a question ever arose, if there was ever a, what, you know, we, we, that restaurant works with an amazing list of farmers that would pretty much just bring what they were harvesting at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody comes in with this root that you're like, I, what is this? I don't know how to use this. And Sam's got a story about a recipe from 200 years ago and, the, the knowledge and the, the story to go behind that knowledge, it's not just like take a quarter cup of this and take a teaspoon of that. It's like this is what they used to do with it. This is why he's growing it on his land. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. Oh, man. So why is it so important to be generous with your knowledge? Don't be afraid to get back up on that mic. You're drifting a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, without – why would it be a secret? If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're keeping things a secret, you, I don't know. I, 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 I couldn't understand why you would do that. You, Without everybody around you knowing what you know, and without you knowing what everybody around you knows, we're not going anywhere. We're Absolutely. just sitting still. Yes, man. I love this conversation, man. I'm having a blast talking to you. <laughs> so anything else you, you pulled uh, working with Sam Hayward at four before leaving to go help other restaurateurs open re- their restaurants? Four Street was the perfect place for us to be to land when we first got to town. Um, 
the the crew that was there a lot of them are still there they have they have employees that have been there for 25 years um so it was a great community to become a part of right off the bat getting to know people that that could share stories about you know where portland had come from you know now i have stories to say like i just did that where there was really like three big players in town when we moved here they were telling us stories about that when we first got here 10 years ago. So it was really cool to be able to see or be able to hear all that kind of stuff. Um, and like I said, the, the community of farmers that they use over there created a, a, an unbelievable network of connections. Just, so how did you know it was time to leave? It was time to leave 4th Street when I was kind of, um, what's the word? I was sought after to help open a new restaurant. So you were there for two years, right? I was there for two years. Yep. Okay. And, uh, what was, the, I mean, how, how appealing was the, the, the sought after deal? Like what, what it was very, what's, appealing. what's good enough um, to, to pull you away from being a part of probably at that time, the best restaurant in the city. It was very appealing in a lot of different ways. You know, it had been probably a, le- a year longer than what I had said to myself. I was going to be out of management for. So yep. I had been out of management for two years. Um, I was, you know, while, even while we were at Forest Street, the intention was that we were going to be opening our own restaurant. So we were looking at spaces. We were trying to figure out funding. We were doing all those kind of things, talking to banks, hitting a lot of roadblocks, not really getting anywhere. Um, and this person approached me to be what was said to me to be a chef partner at a new place in town that they were working on building out. Um, and it seemed like, it seemed like the right move. Um, and initially... Was this Masa Miyake? No. Am I no, saying this that correctly? Is, this, this is someone else that we're probably not going to name by Okay. Name. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I respect that. And initially, Jess wasn't going to come along. She was going to stay at 4th Street. She was going to do her, do her thing. I was going to do my thing. We were going to see where it went. Um, ultimately, I left 4th Street, and it took another four months for this place to get open, which was not what we intended, what was not what was expected. We, uh, the, th- the thought was I was leaving 4th Street, and a month later, we'd be open. Um, so in those four months, Jess, you know, helped me out with all of the planning and things that was going into this place. And she started to kind of get intrigued and have, have some ideas about wanting to get involved. And she put her name in the hat for the, the front of the house manager position. So we kind of went at this together and front of house management at four. No, no. At the new, at the new new place. So we, she, she left four street well after I had, but she, she left and, and helped me get this place open. So I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You left Forest Street because somebody came to you with a, a proposition uh, for a new restaurant. You mm-hmm. did partners. Right. Um, now, the, the nature of this podcast isn't to destroy people's reputations or to talk shit about other people, but there are learning experiences and failures. Of course. Yeah. Uh, without really blowing up this other person, what could have you done? What, what did you look looking back at what you did? Um, what could have you done better to make sure this would have been the right partnership or what didn't work about this partnership? Uh, what didn't work about this partnership was that the people that were the people that I was partnering with weren't really restaurant people. They didn't, they, they had never really worked in the restaurant business before. Um, it was more of a, they had money and they wanted to invest in somebody and they always want they're, they're but they, scratching the, the restaurant dream itch. Right. And without wanting to relinquish the control that needs to be, given to the people that you're hiring to, okay. to run these things. So, so they, so the too many man, too, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Is okay. that, is that yeah, still yeah, PC yeah. enough to say? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, they had a vision, um, but they're hiring you to run the, the restaurant, but you also had a vision where there are separate visions of what the restaurant would be. 
Yeah, definitely. The, okay. uh, the visions definitely did not always see eye to eye. Um, and, you know, opening a restaurant is, it's a very stressful endeavor. Mm-hmm. It almost never makes money right away. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of nurturing, a lot of care. Um, and if you don't have the patience for that, it can be a very explosive situation. Mm. And I understand, you know, especially now that I've been in it on my own, I understand that you're, you're watching money fly out the window and you don't know where it's going or if it's coming back. And it, it, and you're not talking about a couple bucks. You're talking about a lot of money. Yeah. So you weren't patient. Give me an example of how you're, what, what were you rushing? What was, what was, going um, on? it's not that I was rushing it. Okay. I, I was, I was ready for the fight. I was ready to be patient and knew that it was going to take patience and it was going to take time to grow this thing. Can you give me um, an example of what it, what was going on that you think ultimately broke the camel's back or what was the situation that, that was being forced if you guys weren't being patient? Um, I don't know if there's one specific example. I think it was more of a, an overall approach to things. I think it was a, this needs to happen now and there's no, you can't just snap your fingers and say, this needs to happen now and have it happen because nobody can do anything about it. You're not going to go outside and drag someone in off the sidewalk and put them in a seat and make them pay for dinner. That's yeah. just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, I think that that, I think it could have been a really great place and a really, and, a, and in a lot of ways it was while it was, it, it's, it's no longer there. It's been, it, it only lasted like a year and a half. What would, um, what would have had, what would have had to happen to make it what you think it could have been? There would have been, there would have needed to be one vision. One and there was, there was five at one point going so on. So knowing what that, you know now, what would you have done to protect yourself from there being multiple visions? Um, I, would have, <laughs> I would have not gotten involved in that situation. <laughs> um, I would have gotten everything in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, I probably would have walked away a lot sooner yep. because it was pretty evident pretty quickly, pretty early on that it wasn't ever going to be working one it wasn't ever going to be one vision working towards one goal when would, you when you say everything in writing what's everything partnerships partnership agreements okay. um if you feel that there are any kind of variables that and i'm not talking about like you're going to bring somebody to court nobody's ever going to do that you're never going to you know you, if you sign an employment co- an employment contract with a with a restaurateur that says you're going to be the chef here from january 1st of 2018 to january 1st of 2019 Sign it. Who cares? They're not going to sue you. It doesn't make a difference. But if you're going to be promised a partnership, and that's for me with this situation, that was a big motivator for me getting involved with this. I didn't have anything in writing. I didn't have a stitch of paperwork to say that I was actually a partner in this thing. Thankfully, because it failed. But yeah, hindsight. In this this example, it worked out in your favor. And And was it your money on the table, or did you? No, I was sweat equity. So So that's that's a good thing too, I guess. Um, Yeah. You didn't go into the hole because of this. You lost some time, but you know, lost some that, time. Um, a lot, lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Ego, maybe you know, ego not as not as much. I mean, it, it definitely it put a lot of pressure on my relationship with my wife. Mm-hmm. That was it was a really hard time for us because she wasn't being treated fairly. I wasn't being treated well, but I didn't care as much. I wasn't being. I, I was more because I was the kitchen she was the front of the house and these other guys were kind of just always in the front of the house. So she was taking the heat from them a lot differently than I was. Um, and it was, it was, it was a very difficult, very stressful situation for us. Uh, so you, could you say maybe you got kind of, uh, 
blinded by the the, the shiny money. Totally, uh, I was blinded like by the opportunity, I, like the oh, opportunity like, of a partnership, and that That's, comes up a lot. I think people people in this industry are so ambitious, so eager to have something of their own, right? And sometimes we we sacrifice too much to get it, like freedom of decisions. Right. Yeah. Sanity. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> uh, so I'm um, one last question about this, and then we'll move to the next stage of your career. Uh, if you could have had one non-negotiable, non-negotiable line in that partnership agreement, something that would have been there to protect you, what would that have, line have read? What would that part have been? Maybe not verbatim, but um, pay me on time. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's ultimately cool. where that just, that that relationship dissolved. Awesome. Is that we stopped getting paid. So, so we haven't even spoken about your restaurants today, and I want to make sure we leave some time uh, to talk about those challenges. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you didn't have enough starting capital in the beginning, and but you you survived. Uh, but we can't just gloss over. Uh, the whole Masamiyaki. Am I saying that correctly? Masamiyaki, yeah. Um, he's another huge influence in the town of Portland, mm-hmm. uh, and you helped him open a few restaurants. Uh, any just nuggets you can drop on us? Any bombs of knowledge, as I used to say <laughs> way too much in the past, uh, that you can drop on us right now before moving on to your own experience opening your first restaurant? From working with Masa? Yeah. Um, Masa was definitely another... It was. I had never been... I had never cooked Japanese cuisine before, so it was a total learning experience for me. And it was definitely, a lot of it was some of that, like, just shut up and do your job. You so know, how, how much time did you spend with Masamiyaka? My time with him was very sporadic. I, I, I kind of ended I, I worked for him in between other things that I was doing. And, and for however, whatever reason that it happened this way, once was when he was opening the noodle shop up the up the street. The other time was when he was moving from Spring Street down here up Fourth Street. So, I was part of his opening crew in two different in two different restaurants, um, but kind of more just by happenstance than anything else. I mean, it wasn't really intentional. It just kind of happened that way, um, and I learned a great deal. I mean, I'd never worked with. What was the biggest thing you learned? Not just not about necessarily food, but what did you learn about him as a restaurateur? How to conduct yourself? How to do business? What were the, were there any major takeaways from this experience? I mean, you helped him open two restaurants. Yep. Any lessons there in, in site location? Uh, I wasn't really part of any of the decision making. Okay. I was more like, go open those boxes. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I was definitely. I more, appreciate your honesty. Yeah. What I, about observing what he was doing? Any, or did, watching, I mean, that's all from a culinary perspective. Just did, watching him cut fish, watching him work, it would, okay. because, especially because of the differences in cuisine. So what did he teach? I mean, obviously, there's different technique, uh, different, uh, a lot of different things between Japanese cooking and other areas of the world. You're traditionally French or My, Italian? Yeah, Western. Western? Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> anything that's worth mentioning now before moving on to you having your own vision, how you made that vision come to reality? Um, yeah, I mean, just... I think with him, it was the different flavors that are used and how to use them with, with different ingredients that I'd never worked with before. That's so not it, this it, podcast. That's yeah. uh, Milk Street. <laughs> that one. So, um, okay. What, when did you have your own vision and when did you start living intentionally to make your restaurant dream come to reality? Uh, so when I was the, sh- I left Masa for the last time and took over the, the kitchen at Grace and I was the executive chef there. Um, for about two years, about halfway through it, I started working on a business plan for a wholesale USDA inspected plant where I was going to be processing bacons, hams, all kinds of, you know, 
sausages, salami, all that kind of stuff. So you gained the wholesale business. Working uh, on getting into the wholesale business. I was gotcha. working on kind of getting out of not it wasn't like I'm, i want to get out of the restaurant business i wasn't thinking of it that way but you're trying to I, think, work smart not this hard. was <laughs> this was my <laughs> this was my dream i wanted to be you know one of the first producers on the east coast to do this sort of thing um and it's a very difficult thing to get into it's yeah. you know you know have you heard of central Provi- or uh, sorry olympia uh, olympic provisions yeah. olympic for provisions they're yep. on my show all three of them oh really all yeah uh elias michelle and oh man um Nate, uh, so yeah, if you want an amazing. introduction, cool. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a really really hard thing to get into. Um, Why regulations? You're dealing with federal regulations. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with the USDA. Uh, they have these hoops that you have to jump through. It's like has, it, was it has has a programming programming. I've, I've taken the has of course up at UMA and Orono. That was a pain in the ass. Just getting back and forth for, to Orono for you know two weeks or whatever. Yeah. Um, ultimately. What ended up happening was I left I, I left Grace to do this. The place where I was going to do it went out of business the week before we were about to get started. We didn't even talk about Grace. So. But, <laughs> but uh, that, that's fine. Uh, unless, no, we, we won't go there. We'll save time. For, this is your time to shine. Um, so this, this was like another kind of fall on your ass situation where the rug got completely pulled out from underneath us. We thought we were like good to go with this. This guy was up in Gardner. He was cutting meat. He didn't know what to do with the, the other the not center of the plate cuts. I knew what to do with all that stuff. He was already in a USDA inspected plant. So we were about just ready to pop this thing in there and go with it. Um, <clears throat> and he went out of business. And I had a six-month-old son at home and no job. And a wife that was looking at me like, what are you doing with your life? Because you're 35 years old and you don't have a job and we don't know what we're doing right now. Um, So I, for whatever reason, I had reached out to um, the head butcher who's no longer there, this guy Evan, out at Rosemont Market on Brighton Avenue. And they offered me a job not making nearly enough money to make ends meet with the life that we had um but pizza i was able to piece it together with some catering stuff and some side jobs and things like that and really got to know how to manage production butchery um and rosemont is an awesome place the the owners there john naylor is a great guy he's a really awesome person to work for um and i went from you know the occasional like We'd get one or two pigs a month. We'd get a couple lamb here and there in the restaurant business. I was breaking six pigs a week. I was breaking two cows a week. Talk Um, about muscle memory. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So I was really not only able to fine-tune my skills, but I was working in retail, which I'd never done before. And I really fell in love with it. It What was it about retail that drew you in? Being able to connect with people on how they're going to go home and cook their dinner. It's a completely different way of thinking about things when you're in the restaurant you're in the you're in the kitchen you're the chef you're trying to share your vision your passion with somebody through so many different levels and so many different layers here you're across the counter from somebody saying here's see this piece of meat do this to it and you'll love it yes but you do it i'm not doing it for you you do it yeah (laughs) but i mean what you're describing is a transformative relationship right where you get to it's not transactional you're not just taking the money and handing them exactly you're transforming them by educating them by broadening the you know or, or expanding exactly. the horizon and just 
and making it a relationship and, and going deeper, right? Um, and I think that's where society kind of falls short today. We've gotten so transactional. We're, we've been so broken by the the big box stores, the you know the Shaws, is the the right. Kroger's, totally. the where there's no relationship there. And uh, it can it doesn't have to be that way. It can be transformative. You can have relationships with everybody you touch every day. Um, sorry, it's kind of a side point. No, totally, uh, and it's it's totally true, and it's a big part of what, what I do now, and it's 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 awesome. I, the first name basis side of things is is really it's it's so fun, and it's it's yeah. it, 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 it it's so personal. It, it's it, you're I mean you're you're basically you're becoming a part of someone's dinner at their house without yeah. going to their house. It's, yeah. it's, it's a really cool and way to do And then you get to things. ask the next time they come in, how did that you know, exactly. yep. tenderloin come out or totally. whatever. Um, cool, man. So when did you know you were going to do your own? So this is you. You're, this is all part of you opening your own restaurant. You're, you're going through the educational process right now, uh, right? Is that, is that safe to say? Were you, were you doing these things to learn more about what you needed to know to, to be successful and be the best at what you're doing today? I mean, ultimately, I don't think it was ever really thought of as that in the in the day to day. But ultimately, yes, I was learning about what I how I, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. This is, we're talking about. I was at Rosemont for six months before I opened the deli. So, so you're 35 when you opened. Uh, 36. No, 30. It was 2015. Four years ago. Yeah, 2015. So I was yeah. 36. 36. 35. So I kind of want to make a point. I mean, you spent uh, from 18 to 36. Uh, so I'm horrible at math. 10, uh, 17 years? 18, yeah, 18, 18 years. 18 years. 18 years uh, working for the best in the industry, uh, pushing yourself, finding different verticals from Japanese to charcuterie to wholesale to retail to and, and really finding out what matters to you, what you like to do, finding your lane and learning so much about the industry. And it takes time. To, it does. To get out there, to find out exactly what lane you belong in, what your passions are, um, to find a niche. Uh, and I think a lot of people get in trouble because they just try to go out of the gates. Like these rich dudes or gals like that you know, tried to do that restaurant with you and they just tried to bark orders and things didn't work out because there was no chemistry. There was no culture. There. It does. I mean, I, I think that there, there, you see certain situations that it doesn't take as much time that, that people that are, you know, there, some people get lucky. Some people get lucky. <laughs> some people, for whatever reason, that's just the way that it works out for them. Yeah. I mean, who knows for me, that's, that's the amount of time that it took that, that was, that, that was kind of the path that I needed to go down to, to, to figure out, realize my dreams. Yeah. Um, so take us through opening your first restaurant, man. Like when did you decide to like, like <laughs> do it and like, take so, action? I mean, the whole time that I was at Rosemont, I was kicking tires, trying to figure out what was going to be next, what I was going to do. Um, <clears throat> I knew that it was going to involve meat processing in some way. I knew that it was going to involve some. I, I started to realize that it was going to involve some sort of retail in some way as well. Um, and I just, you know, any avenue that I could find to search, I was searching. Um, and ultimately, I found this space out on Veranda Street in East Deering, Portland. I had never been to this neighborhood before. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on out there. And I went and took a look at the space and I was like, all right, I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it had been, it had been a like mom and pop main Italian store for like 30 years and it, they probably stopped cleaning like 10 years ago. Oh. So it was gross. It was <laughs> wicked dated. Um, what was it about this community, this space that sang to you? Availability. <laughs> That's it. Man. Was it a good it was, deal? Was it an exit strategy? Or was somebody trying just to, you know, just, you know, ultimately what the way that it went down was the guy that, so the old man that ran the shop for 30 years retired, sold the building to a local firefighter. 
he ran the shop the same way the old man was running it for like six months and was like, this is crazy. I'm a firefighter. What am I doing here? <laughs> so he put, this on, why this podcast he put it on Craigslist. <laughs> I, I found this on, I found this place on Craigslist. Really? Wow. Um, and we kind of talked back and forth for about a month or so. And ultimately he said, all right, I think we should give this a shot. And this is all, you know, we talk about community. We talk about relationships. Knowing what you know. Sorry, I don't want to cut you short. Yeah. Knowing what you know, how did that negotiation go? What things were you doing to protect yourself going into this new space? I was looking around this space at all this equipment that hadn't been updated in years saying, this isn't on me. If that hood goes down, <laughs> I'm not financially so How did you make sure that... I had it all put in the lease. Mm. Um, and it's not a traditional lease. It's not the, the same kind of lease that my restaurateur friends in town get from big realtors. I'm lucky to have the lease that I have. Um, so uh, how did you get that lease you, you got? What was it about your transaction well, with this person? That's where I was going with it. With the, you know, we talk about community and relationships. The landlord that was... He has since sold the building, but he is a good part of the reason why I made it through that first year. He's an, just an awesome guy. He cares about, he, he cares about people. He cares about, he cared about my being able to live to, 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 to succeed there in a way that allowed me to succeed there in a lot of ways. How did that um, look? You know, I call him one day and like the, the sink in the basement's backing up. He calls his, he's a, he's a, he owns a lot of different properties. He's got a, he's, he's, a landlord of like seven or eight properties in Westbrook, blah, blah, blah. So he's got a guy that does property maintenance for him. He calls his property maintenance guy. His property maintenance guy comes in and fixes the thing for me. I don't have to call a hundred dollar an hour plumber. Yeah. Little things like that. Um, he actually came to me. He came to me in the first, I had made it through the first year and it was January again. And he said, listen, I want you to take 500 bucks off your rent and add a hundred bucks to it until you get back to the original amount and go right into the summer. I mean, that was huge for me back then. What was it about you that he wanted to, why he wanted to support you? How did, like, is there something about you, do you think, that made him want to see you become successful? I'm very proud of the way that I maintain relationships and the way that I treat people. How do you maintain relationships? How do you, how? Treat people with respect. Just be nice and, you know. I think that if you do that, good things come. I think. Give me an example of something that you did that you didn't have to do to, to nurture this relationship. It's the little things, you know. I mean, he says he's responsible for the the snow removal. I see him out there shoveling. I grab my shovel and I go out and help. You know, it's the little things like that that yes. keep communities going. That when we talk about and not to go the, go here with it, but we talk about the political climate that we're in right now. It doesn't matter if you're taking care of who's on your block. That's all that matters. That's yes. all you can do. Yes, man. This is why this podcast exists. It's about knowledge, uh, business knowledge, but it's also about business ethics, business or moral standards. Absolutely. Right? And not making it just about the bottom line and about the transaction, about, about the relationship, about the human element. And that's coming out in this interview, and I'm really excited that it is. So thank you for letting me make an example of you. And the other thing that's coming to mind, too, I mean, you took time to get into this community, to be a part of this community, to, to, to establish roots, to align your brand, your personal brand, with other successful personal brands in this community. Yeah, and when you have that behind <clears throat> you and you've spent time to let your roots settle and go deep, People, the community will come back. They'll associate you with other people of success, right? And you're a part of the community. Like the way that you and Jessica did this, the one about doing this to become Absolutely. a part of the community yeah. is another huge thing I want to take away from this conversation. Uh, I'm loving this conversation, dude. Um, I can't believe we're almost at an hour of recording time. I feel like wow. uh, we haven't even touched on how uh, – I think this is this, being short on capital is kind of one of the things that is – 
being kind of danced around right now. Like, but your landlord helped you out, right? He supported you. He supported me in the small ways that he could. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it, I'll never forget it. Yeah. You know? Um, any other big lessons, any other hurdles you had? I don't want to cut you short. I'm willing to go a little bit longer. You said, what, what time do you have to be out of here? What's your hard stop? Uh, 11 Okay. We're going to do, we're going to push for 1140. I'll okay. try to split the sure. difference. Uh, okay. So no, nothing else you want to drop on us before we go to the speed round. Cause I feel like there's probably a few more lessons that we can drop before moving on. Um, I mean, specific things, try not to let yourself get too stressed out. Things are going to happen. And it's, you know, I mean, we opened our first day on Veranda street was February 5th, 2016. It snowed like 12 inches and that was in a month where it snowed like 65 inches or something wow. ridiculous like that. Um, we had no phone. We had no internet because I couldn't get com- – uh, what was the – Fairpoint couldn't find the box underneath the snowbanks to be able to turn oh our phones gosh. back on. So we opened because we said we were going to open, and we just gave away coffee for the day and just wanted people to be able to – it was more of an open house than it was an actual hard opening for a, a store, but – it got people in the door. It got people. It got. We, we shook some hands. You know, we, we met some people. Um, I was about as stressed out as I've been about anything. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I can only imagine. Well, you you struggled through the first year. Uh, you got some help from your landlord because of the relationship you established. Uh, eventually, things must have started to turn around because you opened the second location. You needed capital behind you to do that. Yeah. So what was the, the turning point? How did things, when did things start to really turn around where you had extra operating capital to open this, another location? Um, <clears throat> year two, we saw on a month to month basis, we were seeing anywhere between 15 and 25% increase over the, over year one. Um, and we haven't stopped. It was a real hard first year getting people to realize we were there and what we were doing. And I don't necessarily think that that's different for anybody else. I think that that's, I think that's the same for all of us. So what'd you do then <clears throat> to make sure that steady climb happened? What was that a result of consistency? Just consistency in what product, your product and your, your brand. What is your product? Really great sandwiches, really great meat, really great prepared foods. I mean, that's what we do. I think that's- you're missing something. Just based <laughs> off of what I'm sitting here learning from you, how are your relationships? Yeah, building relationships is a huge part of it. Absolutely. Be- because of what you said with your landlord, because of what you said with their, your retail experience of being able to suggest like what to make with the, the meat. You know, like what, what does your interaction with your guests look like? Very familiar, very comfortable. Um, as first name as it can be, I'm, sometimes I'm terrible with it, and I feel awful. But I'm I can't right remember. I can't you, remember man. this guy's name. That I, I'm talking to him about his kids for the past six months, and I can't remember his name. But um, you know, it, it, it really it's it's about building and cultivating relationships, and that's that's a huge part of what we do. But we also it doesn't matter how nice you are if you hand someone a sandwich that they don't that that, that you didn't put any care or time into making well, they're not going to come back. See, so when, when I hear that you had a twenty to was it twenty to fifteen percent increase every year since you opened. Was that 15 to 20 percent yeah. to me when i hear that what comes out to my mind is that you're retaining new customers absolutely right and yep. i think so many people are, are focused on driving new customers in uh, but they don't think about what happens when they get there like it's about bringing mm-hmm. them back right and yeah. if you've been able to maintain a 20 to 15 percent steady increase that tells me that they're coming back they've been there once they're coming back the product is incredible but the product is part of the experience right the, the experience is right. really the product and that's relationships um, 
am I out of line by saying that? I don't think so. Not at all. No. I think that I, I don't big, want to put words in your mouth. No, either. no, no. I think a big part of what we do, um, and, and by design is we have a menu where you can come in and grab a sandwich. Ten, fifteen bucks is your commitment. And then we have other menus where you can, we, we'll, cater, we'll, we'll essentially cater your entire Thanksgiving yeah. meal, and you'll spend a couple hundred bucks with us. And it's it's about bridging the gap. It's about being being available and being there. Like I said, you when we first sat down, we're only closed two days a year. We, if it if it dumps snow on this town, we stay open because we're we're a neighborhood spot. We're part of the community. How do you stay sane working <laughs> like that? Um, you know, at this point, now that I have two locations, I have some really wonderful employees to be thankful for. Um, they support the vision. They work their asses off for me and for this company. Um, and I can rely on them and I trust them. And it's it's been. You know, it's it's a staffing is an unbelievable struggle in this town right now. It's very it's very difficult. Um, but it's, yeah, it's the real. ones that we have that have stuck by us. I mean, at this point, I've been open for four years on Veranda Street, and I have employees that have been with me for three of them. So it's 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 pretty incredible that um, the people that we've found that we've kind of helped grow and have helped us grow as well. Yep. How did you know it was time <clears> to go from one location to two locations? Availability, <laughs> availability. Um, that was the same answer I gave you when you when you asked me about Veranda Street. Oh, um, <laughs> an opportunity came uh, up. Basically, yeah. I mean, this spot opened up on the West End. Did this opportunity come to you, or did you seek it out? I sought it out. I saw a listing online um, that said this spot had closed. I was like, "Wow, that's a great location." I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go knock on the door. I'm gonna see what's going on over there. Yeah. And I ended up meeting. I met with the landlord. It was like the first week of July, what 2016. Yeah, 2016. Um, we signed the lease September 1st, 2016, and my daughter was born September 11th, 2016. Oh man! And it got real stressful. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you? How how were you in two places at once? How did you make that transition? That's the most difficult part about it for me, um, because especially with the second location, I don't feel as though I know the regulars as well as I do on Veranda Street, and it's something that I. On a daily basis, challenge myself to make sure that I'm present for as much of it as I can be. Um, I joke all the time that I spend more time in the car between the two than I do actually at either of them. Yep. Um, and then I go into Veranda Street, and the regulars are like, "Well, you're never here anymore." And I'm like, "I'm here like 40 <laughs> hours a week. I'm there 40 hours a week. How many more hours do you want me to put in oh, my man. week?" Um, you're not here anymore when I'm here. <laughs> uh, and that's the thing is that yeah. you know. The benefit of the the two stores from my personal life is that it's kind of taken the keys out of my hands. So I don't necessarily when, when the first year of Veranda Street, I opened and closed every single day. I don't necessarily open or close any days anymore. So how did you get to that point? What things did you do to be able to leave without being totally stressed out that things were being done right? I put a personal challenge on myself to manage my stress better and to trust people that I have trained and hired because I trust them. What happens when you when you uh, extend that trust? They crow. It's amazing. It's absolutely <laughs> yes. amazing. My yes. manager at Veranda Street is has he went from a kid that when I hired him, I looked at my wife and I was like, "This isn't going to last." To he's my most trusted employee. What are the things that What are the other things that you've done aside from extending trust that has allowed your people to grow? Um, I think you have to let people make mistakes and learn how to rectify them. There's never not going to be mistakes. How do you make? How do you let them make the, those mistakes without necessarily, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like completely crashing and burning. Uh, 
Um, you want to make think, them. You want them to make the mistake, but you also want to be able to catch them from. Like, yeah, I, I think sometimes it does. It is a crash and burn. Yeah, you know, I mean, there have been situations that have come up where. So when you see a mistake happening, you just kind of like go, "Well, let's just let them ride this one out." No, it, it's not really like that. It's like the mistake was made. Now, how are you going to fix it? Mm. What are you going to do to make it better? Because, like I said, we're all going to make mistakes. They're never going to. You, you don't tell them how to fix it. You let them come to the the, the solution. It can be a balance of both. Um, sometimes if they come to me and say, "Hey, I fucked up. What do I do?" Yeah. Oh, man, I want to talk to you longer, but I also need to respect your time. Um, one last question before we move to the speed round. We'll make sure. it a true speed round. Uh, how have you? How are you working smart today and not hard? What's one thing you're doing to be a smart worker and a hard worker? Um, the smartest thing that I do is when – and sometimes I don't do it. But if I – Monday morning, I sit in my office – Monday is like my, I call it my admin day. I don't really put on the deli shirt. I just go to the bank. I do all kinds of different organizational things. If I sit down and write myself a a list that says, Pete, do this shit on the top of it. And I put it in my pocket, it gets done. If I don't write myself a list, half of it gets forgotten. So you operate (laughs) off of a list. I operate off of a prep list, which is, duh, I've been doing it for the past 20 years. There's this great (laughs) book out there. It's a short read. It's called uh, Brian Tracy, written by Brian Tracy eat that frog which is all about time management and he he has some uh list operational i don't know how to say this uh ways to work off of a list uh the techniques to work off of mm-hmm. a list prioritizing labeling delegating all that stuff uh if you want to get better off uh, from working off of a list check out eat that frog by brian tracy awesome stuff any other thing you want to drop on us before we go to the speed round i don't think so you've been amazing uh, we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsor we'll be right back If you listen to Restaurant Unstoppable, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. There are two things that you need to let determine your growth. The first thing, that's people. The second thing, that's cash flow. And we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because I'm working with CashflowTool.com, the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business. CashflowTool.com is simple powerful and predictive it's simple because it requires no data entry it's always up to date and it works on any device anywhere it's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar activity feed and anomaly detector you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises and it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow. Head over to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price. All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. 
employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based restaurantethics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you will get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success personability uh what is that real quick just being personable being you know being nice making eye contact being polite i dig it uh what is your biggest weakness Um, self-confidence what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process confidence (laughs) (laughs) trying to compensate (laughs) Uh, what's a current challenge today 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 getting it all done (laughs) how are you overcoming that challenge Working smarter, not harder. <laughs> Another question. I wanted to ask this, but I decided not to because I, I was trying to respect your time. How are you becoming more confident? Uh, by letting things go. By by not taking it out on myself as hard as I, I attempt to. Sometimes. I just started reading the four agreements, uh, which is really kind of taps on that, on letting go of what the society expects from you and just doing what you do and being you. It's really powerful. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Hospitality. What is hospitality to you? Creating a warm and welcoming environment in a personal, familiar way. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team that's standard within your four walls but not standard within the industry? Same. <laughs> Dig it. Uh, what's one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Uh... Uh, I don't remember if there's a direct title, but the Jacques Pepin's memoirs. Okay. Um, I'll try to find that. How do you, how do you spell his name? Do you know? Uh, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. Okay, I'm a horrible speller. I'll try to find it online. <laughs> if, you, uh, if there is one tool or resource you wish you had now or wish you had when you were getting started to learn from others in the industry, what would that be? Patience. Patience. That was not what I was expecting. <laughs> what about a physical tool that you're leveraging within your restaurant? A physical, like a tech, like a technology or a tool that that you wish. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I don't really do technology very well. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, what's one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or do often enough? Say thank you. Mm, why is that so important to your staff mm. specifically? Why is that so important? One of the most common complaints that I have had and have had and have talked to others about throughout my career, especially when you're an underling, when you're a line cook, when you're learning is lack of appreciation. Mm-hmm. I dig it. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. So get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work in your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three nuggets be? I don't know if I have three, but treat your community well. Be a, be That's a, one. I'm <laughs> going to get three out of you. Um, be a good friend. And 
don't be too hard on yourself. I dig it. Awesome stuff, man. Pete, I've loved this conversation. You were incredible. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one person you admire in this industry and you believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Jamie Bissonnette. Jamie was a past guest. Was he really? He was incredible. He was one of my <laughs> early guests. I was psyched to get him. I was like totally. So do I have psyched. to go again? Yeah. Give me another one. <laughs> um, this is a good this means I'm, I have good taste in guests. Man. John Naylor. I think he'd be great. John, look out. I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know if we want to come join your team. Maybe we're in Portland or Maine and we want to come work for you, join your team, learn from you. What's the best way to connect? Or maybe we just want to follow what you're doing. If I just spit on you, I apologize. <laughs> um, in terms of employment, you know, info at othersidedeli.com is our, our email address. Othersidedeli.com is our website. There's not much more than menus on the website, but we're always posting on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we don't really do Twitter. Um, but that's the best ways to, to get a hold of us and we're always willing and, and, and happy to help in any way possible if you're moving to town and you're looking for guidance even if we're not hiring I can put you in touch with people awesome this is episode 543 head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 543 I'll have a summary of today's discussion over there uh, plus a link to uh, the, the tools and books that were mentioned if any were mentioned uh, again Pete thank you so much for taking thank the you. time uh, there is no questioning you are unstoppable Yes, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Pete Sultanfuss crushing it, dropping bombs of knowledge left and right. I think the big takeaway from today's conversation, uh, it seems pretty obvious to me, uh, but it's it's relationships. From the very beginning of this conversation, for Pete, it's been about relationships, relationships with his bosses, relationships with his coworkers, relationships with the front of house and back of house, relationships with uh, new communities. When he came up here to Portland, Maine, he took the time to develop relationships, to find out who's who, to grow those relationships and develop into, you know, develop a, a reputation because of the, the relationship that he has with other success, successful people. Um, and now, even the relationship he had with his, his landlord uh, and the relationship he has with his employees. And because of these, these relationships, him taking care of other people, they're taking care of him. And, you know, we, we also have to tip our hat to this man's work ethic, too. Um, you, you can learn so much, uh, but you'll learn twice as much if you put twice as much work into it. Uh, and, and just such great stuff came from this conversation. I'm so pumped we got Pete on the show. So uh, if you guys want more content like this, there's a few ways you can help uh, recommend guests. If you know of somebody who's in your community, who's a leader in your community and he needs or she needs to be made an example of, please put them on my radar. Uh, share this content. Uh, if you know of anybody who's aspiring to be great in this industry, this podcast is for them. Uh, you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with in that restaurant unstoppable. You can surround yourself with the best and keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher radio coming. We're up to 149 reviews. Uh, if you have left one, I thank you in advance. They help so much. And yeah, I think that's all for today. Uh, again, Pete, thank you so much for sharing your story, your values, and your mentorship. Uh, it was awesome. And, uh, and until next time, peace out. <laughs>